Well, good morning. What a powerful uh, time of worship that was. Why don't we just give the band a round of applause there. Thank you so much. And it is a, it's a privilege to share with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, if you've got your Bibles. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and it says this. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Wow, that's a great passage, that isn't it? I was reading uh, one commentary on this verse, on these, this passage of scripture, and one commentator said there's a chapter in every word and a sermon in every letter, and I'm sure you can see why there is so much we can glean from that. Is, there, is anyone, any historians in the house this morning, anyone into history, anyone like a bit of history? Not too many hands there, I'm surprised at that. Um, I personally, I was never a big fan of history, I, could just, I just found it boring and I struggled to engage, but it's only as I'm getting older I'm beginning to appreciate the, the lessons we can learn from the past. And in the third century, China was in the middle of what's known as the War of the Three Kingdoms, and during this period of war, one general's name keeps coming to the top of the list of going down in history of, having, of being a great military strategist. General Liang um, yeah, was so feared amongst his enemies that he got, a, got himself the nickname as the Sleeping Dragon. One night, however, um, on the evening before an important river battle was about to take place, General Liang found himself in a tricky situation. He was falsely accused of working for the enemy, and so his commander gave him an ultimatum. He said, to prove your loyalty to us, either you provide our army with 100,000 arrows within three days, or you'll be put to death. Now, rather than beginning to produce the arrows and manufacture them within such a short space of time, that would have been impossible. So General had a plan. He picked a few of his most trusted soldiers, just a handful of them, and he selected 12 boats and he began to attach bundles of straw to these 12 boats. And then as the, uh, as the, light, as the daylight disappeared and the darkness and the mist rolled in over the river, he sent these men on board these boats and floated them down the river towards enemy territory. Now just put yourself in, in these soldiers' shoes for just a moment. They're being floated towards an entire enemy camp with nothing but bundles of straw and faith in their master's plan for the fight that lay ahead. Before long, as you'd expect, the, the boats came into view of the enemy territory and the enemy began to shower arrows onto these boats. It was at this moment that you, the, the men on board were able to see their master's plan coming together as they saw these arrows being stuck into these bundles of straw. After a while, after hours of these, after hours of these arrows raining down, the, the soldiers hiding on board eventually sped off quickly down the river where they met the general who collected his 100,000 arrows. You see, because of the soldiers' faith, uh, in the master's instructions, not only were they now properly armed to launch an attack, 
but the enemy was disarmed. And the 100,000 arrows were a vital component in the victory that took place the next day. You see, going back to the scripture that we read before, John found himself in a similar situation with the early church. The arrows of the enemy were raining down on the believers in the form of false teaching, and which it was in order to bring division and confusion. And so John writes his letter so that his readers would disarm the lies of the enemy, confirm their belief in Jesus Christ, and give them faith for the fight. You see, in life, we all go through different fights, don't we? In fact, the Christian walk itself is often referred to as a fight. We know that we have a spiritual enemy. We know that we engage in spiritual warfare. We know that we're instructed to put on the full armor of God so that we can advance God's kingdom. The Christian walk is a fight. It isn't easy and it's Often we find ourselves discouraged, whether within ourselves or within the circumstances of life. But I believe as we look at this short passage of scripture from John's letter, I believe that there are some pillars of truth that we can um, glean from God's word that equip us and likewise give us faith for the fight. Notice first that the love of God gives us faith for the fight. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us. Another translation says it like this. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The love of God gives us faith for the fight. I love how it opens with that word, behold, stand in awe and be amazed. Isn't it true that we have a tendency just to glance at some scriptures, but John would have us pause here. Pause, behold, meditate, reflect on the love God has for us, for you and for me. I'm sure you'll agree that in culture today, we often use the word love way too often. I know I do anyway. We love love chocolate. I love those shoes. I love that movie. We love the sun until we're sweating buckets on Tuesday night, can't sleep. Or is that just me? We love that new job until sometimes the excitement wears off and the difficulties begin to come in. We love that new car until we see our friends get a new car and then we're straight back on auto-trader trying to find what we can get for our money. By nature, our affections can be so fragile and our words can be so cheap. But as we consider the love of God, God didn't love with cheap words only, but his incredible love was backed by incredible action. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Psalm 100 says it like this, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Friends, I'd love to be able to say that since the day I became a Christian, I've lived a perfect life, but it's not true. I mean, I'm sure many of you can agree we've all said things, we've all done things, thought things that we know have hurt the heart of God. But I also stand, I stand here knowing my history of unfaithfulness to God, but I stand here also knowing his limitless love, God's boundless grace, and God's infinite mercy. What about you? Do you know the love of God for yourself this morning? Have you considered how great the love of God is? You see, we can all relate to this. In fact, Romans says it like this. 
that even when we're unfaithful, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God that God's love is not based on our performance, but love is in his nature. God is love. We can't earn it. All we can do is receive it. God loves you this morning. I hope that truth comes across clearly. There's nothing you can do to change it. The Apostle Paul says it best. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we behold and meditate on that profound truth, as John suggests, doesn't it inspire us? Knowing that the holy God of heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who knows us by name, wants the best for us, has our back, doesn't it fill us with the courage to want to live for the glory of God? Doesn't it fill us with a comfort in times of pain and trials? Doesn't it grip our hearts with the desire to want to honour him and to worship him? It's no wonder the psalmist cries out, he says, God, your love is better than life. The love of God gives us faith for the fight. We don't serve God in order that he will love us more, but we serve from a position of being absolutely loved. I've been around church for a while, and I'm sure many of you can relate, but sometimes when we hear the, hear the topic of God's love, it can just wash over us because we've heard it so often, it become, can become cliched and ordinary. But let's put into practice what John is saying here. Let's not just let it wash over us, but let us meditate on it and let us never lose the awe and wonder of the love of God. Behold what great love the Father has lavished upon us. The love of God gives us faith for the fight. Following that, our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. See what the second half of that first one says. It says that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. I love this thought. We are children of God. Don't you love the certainty of that verse? Not what we will be, but it's what we are now. After um, John wrote this letter, he wrote it in about 85 to 95 AD and when he wrote it, it was passed on to people who could read and write so that it could be copied and translated for distribution to other churches around that part of the world. And I was reading the story of one um, person in particular. They were copying this. They weren't a Christian. They were copying it. And when they came to this verse, they stopped and they said, nah, it cannot be. Let it be written, subjects, not children, for surely it is impossible that we should be called children of God. It's a profound truth, isn't it? You see, right at the end of 1 John chapter 2, if you just take a quick glance at it, he mentions the idea of being born of God. In fact, John's gospel, Jesus calls it being born again. And this verse follows that idea by answering the question, well, what does it mean to be born of God? It means that we become children of God. You see, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, Jesus, we are freed from the punishment of sin and the power of sin. And if God was to have stopped there, I'm sure you'll agree, that would have been more than enough. But God took it one step further and he adopted us into his family. 
And as this exchange, as this adoption takes place in our lives, as we surrender our hearts and minds to Jesus, there's a transformation that happens within us, so transformational, so powerful, so radical, that Jesus describes it as being born again. I have um, two amazing grandmas and what I love about both my grandma's houses is that whenever I go to their houses, their houses are fully kitted out with family photos that are just absolutely everywhere. And we're at my grandma's recently, and as you come into a house, she's just got one wall that's covered almost head to toe in family photos. All of her five children are there. All of her 13 grandchildren are there. Everyone has their place on the wall. And no matter how many times you've been to a house, you always stop and just take a few moments to have a look at all the pictures. And I'm always trying to point my younger self out to Michaela, or we're trying to find a younger, embarrassing photo of a family member like my dad with crazy long curly hair. Still, still gets me. But it's funny because you get to see how the likeness between the different uh, families, how the likeness of the parents is passed down to the children. Even today when we see a, young bo- a newborn, we'll say, oh, doesn't, uh, don't they have their mother's eyes or don't they have their father's smile? Even until recently when I was living at home, I, if I'd answered the home phone and it was my grandma calling, she'd begin talking to me as if I was my dad. And I'd have to interrupt and say, no, grandma, it's me, Jordan. And she'd say, wow, you sound just like your dad. You see, with that metaphor of being born again and becoming a part of God's family comes with it the paternal characteristics. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he puts in us a new spirit, gives us a new heart. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. That's 2 Corinthians. We are children of God. Not by natural descent, not by our own willpower, but by the love, grace, and the power of God and the work of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, none of us can boast. None of us can take the credit. What about you? Where do you find your identity this morning? God is our Father. Our identity is in Christ. And he begins to work his characteristics into us. He refines us. He gives us opportunities to show his love, his grace, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness. To borrow the words from 2 Corinthians 2, be encouraged that as you go to work tomorrow, you are the fragrance of the knowledge of God, the very scent of Christ. Friends, I'm convinced that when we know whose we are, And when we know who we are, it gives us the courage to live with conviction rather than convenience. Our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. I love the implications of this thought as we consider what it means for us as the body of Christ. It's a thread that runs through all of John's writings in his gospel and in his letters. This a constant call to love one another truly and deeply. I don't know about you, but... In culture today, it seems like it is so noisy about dividing us. Dividing us by our race, gender, social status, vaccination status. It's a great challenge that we read in scripture when within this challenge of the unity in the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus felt so strongly about it that he said this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13. 
Isn't that interesting? That Jesus tells us one of the most telling marks of his followers is not how many miracles they can do, but it's how they love one another. As I look around this room, I'm sure that the enemy could find so many reasons of how we could be divided. So many reasons why we could have fallouts and arguments. We'll always have our differences and no one's perfect, yet what brings us together is a love for God, a desire to build his kingdom, and a love for one another. Perhaps you've seen one this, someone this morning and you, you've never spoke to them before or you're thinking they're new. Why don't you go and say hi, learn their story, see how you can get them connected and made to feel like a part of the family. My mum's uh, from Uganda. Are there any uh, Swahili-speaking brothers and sisters in the house this morning? John, I see that hand at the back. Joshua, sorry. Jambo, Kwaheri, that's all I know. I'll leave it there. <laughs> But there is a, there's an African proverb, I'm sure you've all heard it before. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Friends, let's go far together. Let's run our race together as brothers and sisters in Christ, having each other's backs. We are stronger together. Our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says it like this. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What do we know? We know the love of God gives us faith for the fight. Our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. And in addition to that, our hope in God gives us faith for the fight. Look at verse 2, it says this, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Thirsty today, gosh. Our hope in God gives, him, gives us faith for the fight. How many of you would agree that the future is pretty unpredictable? In, uh, in my line of work, I work a lot with um, computers and programming, and there's a day coming in the computer calendar that many call the day time will stand still. Listen to this. At 3.14 a.m. on the 19th of January, 2038, many of our modern microprocessors and computers will stop working. Oh, that got your attention. To cut a long, long story short, when the modern internet started coming online in 1970, there was a, a recognized need for a kind of standard way of timekeeping across the globe. And so one institute, the Institute of Electronics and Electrical Engineers, got together a group from all over the world and they decided that to achieve consistent timekeeping, computers will keep account of the number of seconds since the start of 1970. Now, working with the tools that they had at the time, this number, this count, was stored um, in a 32-digit binary number, which basically allows for a maximum of 2 billion and something seconds. Now, that 2 billion and something seconds basically equates to just over 68 years from the start of 1970. They did this with the expectation that by the time 2038 comes, our computers would have changed beyond recognition and that we wouldn't be storing time as a 32-digit binary number Yet here we are in 2022, and though our computers have changed beyond recognition, the way we keep time hasn't changed much. 
And just like technology, our future is unpredictable in so many areas of life. Don't worry, by the way, I've left it on a cliffhanger there. Many, like a lot of computers I've started upgrading to a 64-bit timekeeping piece. But you'll be surprised at how many computers still store time in the old way. Our future is full of unknowns. Even regarding our future as believers, John acknowledges, he says, what we will be has not yet been made known. I have so many questions about this. I don't know about you. What body do we get in heaven? If we, if we even get one. Will we be able to fly? Who knows? I wonder what food will be served in heaven. Who's the chef of heaven? That's what I want to know. We have, you might have many questions a bit more sensible than mine. But uh, <laughs> though there are still many unknowns, though there are things that we still have questions about, there is a part that we do know about the future. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God's ultimate goal in our lives is to make us more like Jesus. And here John speaks to the fulfillment of that purpose, the day we see Jesus as he is. It's an exciting thought, isn't it? Because what makes heaven, heaven, isn't the golden streets, not whether we'll be able to fly or not, not our own glorification, but what makes heaven, heaven, is because God is there. Jesus is on the throne, and we get to spend an eternity in the unhindered glory of the Lord. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What about you? Where do you place your hope this morning? Can I encourage you, have hope in God. We serve a God who keeps his word, who will bring about the fulfillment and the completion of the things that he said he would. We serve a God whose word will accomplish the purpose for that which he sends. It's not wishful thinking, but it's an assured confidence in our saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we can have hope in you. To the person going through a rough season, I can't imagine some of the pains that you're maybe going through during these times. But can I just encourage you to have hope? Yeah. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. God is a faithful God who keeps his word. Have hope in a God who knows you by name, who knows the number of hairs on your head. Have hope in a God who says that we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Our hope in God gives us faith for the fight. Our vision statement as a church is to be a light on a hill, transforming our community one person at a time. How many of you agree that Bolton has hope? There is hope for Bolton. There is hope for Manchester. There is hope for the UK. We might see things in our local news that we might think, ah, oh, there's no hope for that area. But have hope. There is hope. Have hope in God. We can have hope that God will, a confidence that God will continue to fulfill his purpose in us and through us until its completion. Take courage. Jesus is on the throne. Our king has the victory. Let's be beacons of hope for others. Our hope in God gives us faith for the fight. What do we know? We know the love of God gives us faith for the fight. Our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. And our hope in God gives us faith for the fight. And finally, our intimacy with God gives us faith for the fight. Verse 3 says this, it says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he 
is pure. Having this anticipation of spending an eternity with Jesus, having our hope in him, can have this purifying effect in our lives. It fills us with that desire to want to please him and to honour him. Legalism, by definition, is the idea that by doing good works or obeying the law, a person earns and merits salvation. The dangers of this works-based faith are that it can push us often into two different streams of thought. It can push us into despair or into pride. And I've had seasons in both camps. I've had seasons where if I've messed up, I feel like that's it. I'm done. I'm finished. God's had enough of me. I've just crossed one too many lines. But then there's the other side of that where I recognize that I've been uh, in a season of pride where we think, yeah, aren't I doing well in my faith? Aren't I following all these rules? And it can uh, have like it where we begin comparing against each other and begin looking down on others and feel entitled to certain blessings. Both streams of thought are lies. And, God, and instead, John would have us look at the, at the finished work of Christ and obeying him from a position of being loved instead of trying to earn his love. Last, um, last year, as you know, myself and Michaela got... Um, married and so since then we've been on this journey of learning to do life together and it's funny like when you spend this much time together you begin to really see what pleases each other and what grieves one another's hearts and I know I'm a messy person by nature I'm looking at Michaela because she's laughing she knows what I'm going to say I am a messy person at heart but I've learned a few things since living with Michaela apparently putting your clothes in and around the the washing basket isn't the same as putting them in the washing basket who knew who knew I'm learning I'm learning but there are times when if someone's just left a mess in the kitchen, uh, it just takes one of us to go, oh, next time, will you tidy up after yourself? Because it saves me a job. Because there's a mutual love for each other, because we want the best for each other, because we want to serve each other, build each other up, honour each other, it doesn't feel as big a burden. Instead, it becomes an opportunity to show our love for each other. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't make it easy, and me and Michaela are by no means perfect. We still have our moments, but, as, uh, but because we have this goal to build an intimate relationship, these little opportunities to have moments of obedience help us to build the intimacy that we're after. Friends, let's not fall into the trap of legalism, but instead fall in love with Jesus. As we, begin to, as we begin to learn about his heart, we'll begin to learn about what pleases him and what's, what grieves him. And as, as we begin to apply his teachings and his words into our lives, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we begin to build that intimacy and relationships with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Our intimacy with God gives us faith for the fight. The band can come back up. You see, the Christian walk isn't easy. We often find ourselves discouraged, whether in ourselves or within the circumstances of life. But in this short passage from John's letter, I believe that there are some pillars of truth found in God's word that equip us and give us faith for the fight. What do we know? We know the love of God gives us faith for the fight. We know our identity in God gives us faith for the fight. We know our hope in God gives us faith for the fight and we know our intimacy with God gives us faith for the fight so let's run our race well let's fight the good fight 
so that together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can show the world that the greatest victory is a life surrendered to Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't we just stand as we bring it to a close? Just to close, I'm just going to... Pray for us. And as I was preparing this message, there were just two groups of people that um, were just on my heart. And the two groups of people are people. The first group is people that uh, you feel like you're going through a fight right at this moment, that it feels like the odds are against you and you're desperate for God to move and to give you the strength to continue. The second group of people are those that you maybe have been on your Christian journey for a while, but you're feeling like you've lost your passion, you've lost your edge, you feel weary, you feel passionless. If you feel like you're in either of those two groups, and all I'm going to do, I'm just going to, going to pray for us. And if you want to respond to this message, I'm not counting hands, but if you want to just as a way of responding, why don't you just raise your hand just so I know who to include in the prayer and I'll just pray for us. So why don't you raise your hand, I'll pray for us, and then we'll just continue to worship. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We recognize your lordship in our lives, God, and we want to give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of your word, that you love us so much that you've adopted us into your family and you call us your own. And so, God, we come to you for help. We recognize, God, that in these times we can't do it without your help, without the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, I pray for people that are in the middle of a fight right now. God, I pray that the reality of your closeness would be so real to these people right now, Father God, that they would see your hand in the little moments of life, Lord. They will see you working behind the scenes, doing what only you can do. God, we pray will you move mountains. God, we pray will you make a way in the wilderness. God, we pray will you do what only you can do in those situations and give us the strength to continue. For those feeling stagnant or weary in the faith, God, we pray for a fresh focus and a fresh fire that you just fill us this morning with a fresh sense of awe and wonder at who you are and what you're calling us to do. Lord, we want to lift your name high. God, we want to leave, Lord God, give us grace to, to leave nothing undone that you've called us to do. And so God, with all of this, with everyone watching at home and online, God, we just pray, Lord, we want to see your name lifted high. We want to make your name great. We want to build your kingdom, Father God, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.